Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everyone? Matt Savoka here at Draftaholic on Twitter. I'm here with the awesome matchups column. And I just want to say what a crazy week one. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so glad you're listening. I know that there are lots of things going on in people's lives right now other than football. So I hope that this audio version of the matchups column, which I know is a beast to read, is a little bit better for some folks out there. Again, uh, my name is Matt. I started at Osmo this season. Super stoked to be doing this matchup column every week. I also do a DFS data deep dive once a week. And this week only, it's free up on Osmo.com. So definitely check that out. It has a ton of graphs and charts. And for you metrics lovers out there, it has some really, really good stats that you can use for your lineups this week and going forward. Okay, guys, week two looks really, really great. We got a couple of high over-unders on this main slate. Let's get into it. Detroit Lions at Green Bay Packers. At the time of this recording, Detroit Lions have 21.5 implied points, while the Packers are at 27 implied points, their home favorites. The Lions let a surefire victory get away from them last Sunday against Chicago. In week two, they found that they find themselves up against an even tougher opponent on both sides of the ball, and Kenny Galladay still isn't practicing. Not good. In Galladay's absence last week, the Lions receivers struggled to make big plays against the Bears' secondary. Despite a solid eight targets, Marvin Jones underwhelmed as Matthew Stafford's primary alpha receiver, finishing the day with a mere 55 receiving yards. The target and air yard leader was actually Quintus Cephas, a rookie, who popped off the page in last week's NFL deep dive. We'll need to keep an eye on the target distribution as the weeks go on for the Lions because Cephas, despite only hauling in three grabs, seems to have carved out a role for himself in this passing attack. The Detroit running game, as expected, was by committee, but it had an unexpected touch leader, the old veteran Adrian Peterson. Peterson saw one of the highest utilization rates in the NFL on Sunday, receiving a touch on over 75% of his snaps. DeAndre Swift was worked into the game early and often, however, and even received a goal line look that he was able to punch in. That's the good news for Swift. The bad news is he dropped an easy game-winning touchdown catch, overshadowing an otherwise impressive debut. The Packers came out firing against the young Vikings secondary, and Aaron Rodgers absolutely made the most of it. Rodgers had a field day against Minnesota, passing for 364 yards and four touchdowns, all while not turning the ball over at all. His connection with Devontae Adams reached new heights, as Adams hauled in 14 of 17 targets for a whopping 156 yards and two touchdowns. While we can't expect that type of output between the duo each and every week, 
we got a glimpse of the massive weekly ceiling that this pair can produce in advantageous matchups. And it just so happens that they find themselves in such a matchup this week. The only other receiver of note for the Packers is Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who had nine targets, but his 20% of the team's weighted opportunity is a fraction of the 41% Adams received. That's just ridiculous. Alan Lazard had 14% and was a distant third in the Packers passing game. Green Bay scored points on 75% of their drives in Week 1, so it shouldn't be surprising that Aaron Jones eventually found his way into the end zone, saving what otherwise was a ho-hum stat line in Week 1. His four receptions were a nice added bonus to his floor and helped him crest the 20-point threshold in DraftKings scoring. As long as Rodgers keeps slinging it the way he did last week, Jones will continue to find himself in positions to have monster games like he did last week. Jamal Williams did see four receptions of his own alongside... 11 of the Packers carries, so the backfield isn't entirely Jones's, but it appears rookie A.J. Dillon will be worked into the fold slowly, so it's really a two-headed monster at this point. He really only, he saw only two carries in his NFL debut. The prediction here, Packers 27, Lions 17. My alternative scenario, that Rodgers isn't done going full scorched earth on secondaries, yeah, this, this could absolutely happen. The Lions could just be his next victim of an MVP caliber season. He throws another four TDs. Packers 35, Lions 27. LA Rams at Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are home dogs, implied for 22 points, while the Rams, at this time of recording at least, have 24 and a half implied total points. I think this game may move up in over-under by the time Sunday hits. For all the praise the Rams get for being innovative, they certainly do a few things old school on the football field. If week one is any indicator, Los Angeles is one of the most run-heavy teams in neutral game scripts, and it has the lowest average depth of target of any team in the NFL. At least against Dallas in week one, their game plan was to get the ball to playmakers, particularly Robert Woods, close to the line of scrimmage, and let them create chunk plays after the catch. As a result, Jared Goff was quite accurate, finishing the week with 80.6% of his, his passes at, deemed as catchable. That's six in the NFL. Cooper Cup had a quiet night, catching four or five targets for 40 yards, but still wound up the second most targeted Rams player in week one. The scheme shift for Los Angeles, that at least that they're creating, it creates less looks for Cup, and instead is diversifying the team's low average depth of target throws amongst tight ends like Tyler Higby and running backs like Malcolm Brown, who had a career performance on Sunday night. Really great game from him. Brown just had an average night as a rusher, though, earning slightly more than four yards per carry, but was extremely effective in the passing game, averaging 10 yards per catch and earning three of the Rams' four goal line looks. That's where the money is. Cam Akers didn't have nearly as productive as a game as Brown, but still avoided four tackles and received double-digit touches, including a goal line try in his first NFL game. It may take a few weeks, and Brown will continue to be involved, especially if he plays like he did last Sunday, but the sky's the limit for Akers as a promising rookie, even when second-year player Daryl Henderson returns to action in a more significant capacity. The Eagles are lucky they aren't starting Jalen Hurts this week. Their makeshift offensive line had as many holes as Swiss cheese on Sunday, and the Washington pass for us just swarmed Wentz all afternoon long and route to a league-high eight sacks. Carson Wentz was quite efficient on his four, uh, quite inefficient, I should say, on his 42 pass attempts and turned the ball over four times. He couldn't find the touch on his deep ball either, only throwing a pass deemed catchable by PFF on three of eight deep targets. 
Despite these issues and the aforementioned offensive problems, Wentz continued to try and take those deep shots, both to Jackson and to tight end Dallas Goddard, who actually he connected with for a huge TD in the first half. Still, seven targets for Zach Ertz. That's the likely floor for him, even with the added options of Rager and a healthy Jackson. It should be mentioned, though, that Greg Ward also saw seven targets and earned 14% of the team's weighted opportunity share, a clear indicator that he has a carved-out role in the passing game as well. The Eagles, as a running, te- as a running team, sorely missed Miles Sanders, who was a surprise scratch for Week 1 that thrust Boston Scott into the primary back role after he had performed admirably as a secondary backfield option in the second half of 2019. And he, he really just looked out of place. He was miscast, and the, dis- the results were disastrous. With only 35 yards rushing, and shockingly, uh, shockingly, only two receptions, he disappointed many fantasy gamers who pivoted to him as a low-price option in DFS. Now he's set to return to a secondary role, although we should mention again, he'll likely share those changes, those change of pace duties with Corey Clement, who was Equally ineffective, I must add, on Sunday, earning 21 total yards on eight touches. So expect Wentz's passing numbers to improve as long as Sanders is in the backfield, as defenses respect the run a little bit more. My prediction here, the Rams are going to win this 28-24, to but my alternative is a little different. The Eagles' defense is able to stop the Rams' short area attack and bait Goff into multiple interceptions. Philadelphia takes advantage of those extra drives and wins the game 30-27. to Carolina Panthers at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Carolina Panthers have 19.75 implied points. The Bucs at this time of recording have 29 implied points. Huge home favorites. At first glance, this matchup appears to be the ultimate get-right game for Tom Brady. The Panthers' defense was atrocious in Week 1, giving up a top-10 performance in terms of per-drive efficiency to Derek Carr and allowing second-year running back Josh Jacobs to scamper to a career-high three touchdowns. It's certainly an opportune moment for the Buccaneers, who severely disappointed in Week 1, finishing with the fourth-worst net-expected points per drive in the entire NFL. Brady seemed out of sorts and out of sync with his receivers, a strange sight for fans used to the methodical, mistake-free Brady of yesteryear. One positive development, the Bucks appear ready to be one of the most up-tempo teams in the league, finishing Week 1 with the 6th fastest pace of play. In spite of playing somewhat conservatively, 16th in true neutral early down pass rate, the accelerated pace of play should still translate to plenty of pass volume for the Tampa Bay pass catchers. Much to the chagrin of fantasy football players, however, Brady appears primed to spread the ball out amongst his receiving options. Chris Godwin, who's now in the concussion protocol and is questionable for Week 2, led the Bucks in weighted opportunity share last Sunday, followed by O.J. Howard and Scotty Miller. Only Godwin saw more than 20% of the team's share of weighted opportunity. Evans, that was the big disappointment here. He was held catchless for most of the day, found the end zone finally, and he can hopefully be more productive against a Carolina secondary who does not possess a cornerback in the same stratosphere as his week one matchup, Marshawn Lattimore. This passing game is still evolving and may have significant variance from week to week. So far, though, it seems that it will be difficult for either Evans or Godwin to put up the consistent, gigantic fantasy totals we're used to seeing from them. In terms of high-value opportunities, targets, and goal-line work, Ronald Jones is, at least for now, the back-to-own in Tampa Bay. His goal-line carries and three targets 
His two goal line carries and three targets are promising for what appears to be a backfield trending towards a 50-50 split. Leonard Fournette was targeted once, but not used at all near the goal line, especially when one factors in the likelihood of Bruce Arians allowing Brady to throw in goal line situations. Unless Fournette is handed the reins to the backfield, getting much more than the share of running opportunities he's getting now, or an injury shakes up that depth chart, depth chart, he is disappointing in his low floor, low ceiling. He's a low floor, low ceiling option right now. It's tough to say. The Panthers lost Sunday, but entered a markedly new offensive era. Teddy Bridgewater threw 34 times in their week one loss. Carolina ranked ninth in week one true neutral early down pass rate, indicating they plan on being a pass heavy team, regardless of situation this season. He also ensured that the big four playmakers in the Carolina offense all got their looks. Free agent acquisition Robbie Anderson led the way with the most targets, receiving the most yards, and a long touchdown to boot. But DJ Moore tied Anderson in targets, nearly catching a touchdown himself on a slant route near the goal line, and commanded slightly more of the team's share of weighted opportunity. So that factors in air yards as well. He's still the main wide receiver in this offense, but the emergence of Anderson, along with Curtis Samuel, who had eight targets himself, and of course, Christian McCaffrey, four targets and four goal line rushes, he'll get his looks. This offense has the necessary weapons, though, to keep pace in even the most epic shootouts like this one may be. And yes, there's going to be more shootouts, including this week. The Panthers' defense looks like a unit that will let their opponent put up points week in and week out. Week two's no exception. Prediction, Buccaneers 30, Panthers 27. Uh, My alternative scenario, the Panthers are the more cohesive team Sunday. I know that's a bold take. Brady, who might miss Godwin, and Evans, who's still ailing, can't get anything rolling when they're relying on O.J. Howard and Rob Gronkowski. He turns the ball over twice in the process, and the Panthers capitalize. Panthers 24, Buccaneers 17. Jacksonville Jaguars at Tennessee Titans. Classic Jags at Titans. Uh, right now, the implied totals for the Jaguars, 16.75, and for the Titans, 26. So they're pretty heavy favorites here. It wasn't the prettiest victory, but the AFC runner-up Titans are 1-0 thanks to a breakout game from secondary receiver Corey Davis and some late-game clock management blunders from their Week 1 opponent, the Denver Broncos. Second-year receiver A.J. Brown drew eight targets, equal to Davis, but didn't finish with nearly as notable a stat line, and now he's dealing with a bone bruise in his knee, which makes him questionable for Sunday's game. Something that should absolutely be taken into consideration by DFS players is the Titans' up-tempo pace, finishing Week 1 sixth in the NFL in pace of play. That's seconds per play. Combined with Ryan Tannehill's pass rate, the Titans could easily drop back to pass 38 to 40 times a game, even if they take a lead early. Beyond Davis and Brown, Adam Humphrey saw a healthy chunk of opportunity, snagging 17% of the Titans' weighted opportunity rating. Jonu Smith also produced effectively on six targets. Though he's fourth on the team's totem pole, Smith proved he can be efficient as a runner and a receiver, and Tennessee is scheming him looks consistently. Derrick Henry was relatively productive on the ground, but was graded out very inefficiently according to next-gen stats via the NFL, finishing last in the league in total rushing yards versus expectation. His longest run in Week 1 was just 13 yards, and he finds himself a home favorite against the Jaguars' defense that ranks 7th worst in expected points allowed per drive. It's not out of the question to see Henry scoring multiple times, and his three looks in the passing game boost his weekly floor as well. 
Gardner Minshew had an impressive week one performance as any quarterback, completing 19 of 20 passes for three touchdowns and no interceptions, and shocking the Colts with a game-winning drive. While helming a lethargically paced, run-oriented offense, Minshew picked the Colts apart en route to a decent 1.42 expected points per drive, beating the week one numbers of Tannehill. However, he was let down for much of the day by the Jaguar defense, who were gashed in the short passing game, leading to the seventh worst defensive expected points allowed per drive in week one. Keelan Cole, who caught a touchdown from Minshew in the second half, led the Jaguars in true weighted opportunity rating, followed by Lavishka Chenault, who produced effectively in a hybrid role and found the end zone. Fantasy gamers should note, however, that the Jacksonville pace of play limits the upside of the Jaguars' receivers as no player commanded more than five targets. Even in his highly efficient day, Minshew only passed for 195 yards. The result might have been what the Jaguars wanted, but this situation is far from perfect for fantasy football. James Robinson, the only healthy remaining Jaguars running back, performed admirably in his NFL debut. His 16 carries led the team, and he tacked on a reception as well. He's a locked-in RB2 in fantasy football due to usage, but his upside remains limited by the offense that he plays on. Minchu's productivity as a scrambler is also a detriment to Robinson, as it likely means fewer dump-offs and short area passes. Still, priced in the low 50s among running backs, that's running back 55, I believe, on DraftKings, he can be a very valuable piece of a fantasy lineup, particularly if he finds the end zone. Prediction, Titans 28. Jaguars 21. Alternative scenario, Minshew is efficient once again, and the Titans can't get their wheels turning offensively until it's too late. Jaguars 28, Titans 27. Okay, Atlanta Falcons at Dallas Cowboys. Time of this recording, Falcons have 23.75 implied points. Dallas has 29, their home favorites. Atlanta came out aggressively on offense, but flat on defense, and Russell Wilson took advantage in week one. The Falcons' defense seemed to have no answer for Wilson and appeared to be a squad inexplicably focused on stopping the run game, thus allowing a monster offensive game from their week one opponent. As they head to Dallas, this week appears like it may be more of the same defensively which could mean the same ridiculous pass volume for Julio Jones, who had his typical monster day. But it was the performance of Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage who each saw 11 targets en route to quality scoring outputs, particularly for Ridley, that really surprised fantasy gamers. Gage left right off where he did last year after Mohamed Sanu left town and seems to have a firm grasp on the number three receiving role ahead of Hayden Hurst. Hurst wasn't completely overlooked himself, also seeing six targets, This is one of the pass-heaviest offenses, is really what we're saying here. Very possibly playing in a negative game script this week. Perfect for fantasy points. It makes sense why many are targeting this offense in DFS, as there are many scenarios where two or more of the Falcons reach their ceiling score on a weekly basis. Todd Gurley, though phased out of the offense later in Week 1 in the second half, as the Falcons shifted almost entirely towards passing, still saw a healthy 15 touches, including a 6 including six high-value touches. Those are goal-line carries or targets, just as a reminder. Gurley doesn't have to have the game-breaking speed or the agility that he once had, and he doesn't. But eight to ten high-value touches aren't out of the question for him any week, and that's going to be great for fantasy. Brian Hill and Ito Smith, the Falcons' second and third backs behind Gurley, were used sparingly, earning a total of five high-value touches. The backfield is his, Gurley's that is, if his legs can handle it. 
The Cowboys fell short of completing a fourth quarter comeback in part due to a questionable offensive pass interference call on Michael Gallup and come into this game determined to avoid slipping to 0-2. In a season where many believe that they have Super Bowl aspirations and the most talented roster in their division, they really can't afford to slip the offense was quite aggressive in week one, ranking fifth in true neutral or true neutral early down pass rate, an indicator that they plan on pushing the ball downfield to their receivers, and not just on later downs. Dak Prescott wasn't particularly efficient as a passer, ranking in the bottom third in the NFL in expected points added per drive, and in drive scoring rate. He'll need to convert drives to scores at a significantly higher rate if the Cowboys are to be consistently competitive, and especially this week, matched up against a Falcons team that can absolutely match them point for point. Amari Cooper earned the typical number one receiver's workload, capturing nearly 40% of the Cowboys' weighted opportunity share. As expected, Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb were next on the list, earning 18% and 16% respectively of the passing volume, again measured by weighted opportunity. With the season-ending injury to Blake Jarwin, this should lock in a consistent receiving floor for the options behind Cooper, particularly Gallup. Both make fantastic stacking options for the weekend, despite high expected ownership projections. Ezekiel Elliott can be a foundational piece of any fantasy football lineup, particularly as a home favorite in a game with a massive shootout potential. He just remains an elite play at the running back position week after week. Prediction, Cowboys 31, Falcons 27. Alternative scenario, a turnover-prone Prescott shows up on Sunday and the Falcons are able to capitalize on the mistakes. Matt Ryan gets hot early and Gurley shuts the door. Falcons 31, Cowboys 24. San Francisco 49ers at New York Jets. The Jets, it may have gone up a little bit, but I have their implied total right now at 14 and a quarter points. The 49ers up at 28 implied points. The 49ers just huge road favorites. San Francisco has a chance to set their season on the right course when they head east to the Meadowlands on Sunday afternoon. I'm comfortable saying that it's going to be a very long season for the Jets and their fans. In week one, the Jets achieved the impossible, ranking dead last in offensive expected points per drive, and last in defensive points allowed per drive. In other words, with one week of the 2020 NFL season in the books, one could make a reasonable argument that the Jets have the worst offense and the worst defense in the NFL. This week's opponent is Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers, who need all the help they can get as they're still ailing at multiple key positions. In the passing game, it was obvious on film that the 49ers' offensive game plan heading into week one consisted of getting George Kittle the ball and worrying about the rest after that. This was entirely derailed when he was tackled awkwardly while leaping for an errant Garoppolo pass, knocking him out of the game for for a stretch of time. Though he returned to play, he didn't catch a single pass after checking back in, and now it's being reported that he's a long shot to play this Sunday. Though Kittle is a freak of nature when it comes to overcoming injury and playing, it's possible that the 49ers, already so battered as a team, take a more conservative approach with Kittle. (laughs) Who am I kidding? I doubt it. Okay, so the 49ers backfield has two names that are fantasy viable at the moment, but at least one of them isn't a name we would have expected a week ago. Jarek McKinnon took over a significant amount of the receiving game work, particularly when Kittle went down, and ended up earning five targets. And he, he got the ball for two of the 49ers' goal line looks as well. It's clear that he'll share the high-value looks with Raheem Moster, whose fantasy day was saved by a 76-yard touchdown run. It's actually a catch-and-run. Tevin Coleman got nearly no run at all. That's really the most 
alarming thing for anyone who rosters him, especially in season-long leagues. He earned just a single target. He's clearly third fiddle in this backfield as it stands right now. The Jets' excuse for an offense heads into San Francisco as heavy underdogs. Actually, excuse me, they're at home, but still, they're heavy underdogs. And now their target hog, Jamison Crowder, is dealing with lower body injuries. Just great. Crowder was the lone bright spot in an otherwise drab offensive performance for the Jets in Week 1, commanding 13 targets and breaking a long touchdown run after a broken tackle. The next highest target total for any Jet was 7. I mean, factoring in air yards, Jamison Crowder earned an incredible 40% of the team's weighted opportunity. If he can't go, just cancel the game. Uh, <laughs> needless to say, it's really just going to be bad if they're, if they're without him on Sunday. They're just devoid of playmakers outside of maybe Chris Herndon and Brashad Perryman. In the running game, is anybody out there really thinking of playing a Jets running back in fantasy football this weekend? And if so, are you okay? Like, genuinely, are you okay? It's rarely a good idea to target running backs with low reception opportunities on teams that aren't likely to find the end zone. And now that Le'Veon Bell, a back who at the very least has a history of pass-catching ability and elusivity, has landed on IR. He's got a hamstring injury. Now the Jets' backfield shifts from there are likely better options to you can absolutely, positively do better. The Jets did sign Kalen Balaj and reverted Josh Adams, who had nine fantasy points in week one, back to the practice squad. And it, that probably means that running back LaMichael P. Ryan will make his NFL debut this weekend. But if he can't go, we'll expect Adams to pop back right up onto the active roster. Just make sure none of them end up in your fantasy lineups. Prediction, 49ers 31, Jets 10. Alternative scenario, a member of the Jets quits at halftime. 49ers 31, Jets 7. Colts at Vikings. The Colts are road favorites there at the time of this recording are implied for 25 and a half points with the Vikings just 22. Marlon Mack's torn Achilles in the first half of week one is something that nobody wanted to see. As fantasy football analysts, however, it does bring clarity to a Colts backfield situation that was going to be very difficult for fantasy gamers to suss out from week to week. Jonathan Taylor didn't even see snaps until the second quarter, but eventually earned nine carries and, more importantly, six targets. While backfield mate Naheem Hines was very involved, he had even more high-value touches, leading the backfield in targets with eight and earning an additional two goal line carries. Hines could be a great pivot play this weekend, as Taylor is expected to be heavily owned as a slight road favorite. It's worth mentioning that Phillip Rivers has a long history of making more than one running back on his team fantasy-relevant including his last years in Los Angeles, utilizing both Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler. Paris Campbell appeared to be Rivers' favorite receiver in the passing game, much to the chagrin of those that rostered T.Y. Hilton. When factoring in air yards, however, it was a very flat distribution of pass volume, with Hilton, Campbell, and the aforementioned Hines all receiving 20% of the Colts' weighted opportunity share. This With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
week. The Colts receiving core will face a Viking secondary who had zero cornerbacks graded in the PFF top 75 in week one. Cam Dantzler and Holton Hill, 91st and 97th in PFF's grade, 91st and 97th among cornerbacks, saw an average of 35 snaps in coverage last week and are expected to be lined up against Hilton and Campbell and Doyle this weekend. Advantage Colts passing game. Minnesota climbed back into their game against the Packers late, but were facing a massive negative game script for most of the second half, and they fell short ultimately. This led to some inflated passing attempt numbers, but it also gave us a glimpse about the ridiculously high ceiling for Adam Phelan this season. Phelan commanded nearly 40% of the Vikings' weighted opportunity share and found the end zone to cap off a fantastic fantasy performance in a losing effort. No other player on the Vikings earned even 20% of the passing volume, but players to monitor are BC Johnson with 16% and Justin Jefferson at 12%. Still, if you're looking at this game for DFS, particularly if you're stacking Packers and running it back with Vikings, your lineups have to have feeling. It seems like such an advantageous play in Week 2. Another positive development for fantasy gamers monitoring the Vikings' passing game was their early down aggressiveness in neutral game script situations, though there weren't that many against the Packers Sunday. Minnesota appears to be inclined to put the ball in QB Kirk Cousins' hand more often this season, which could lead to some inflated offensive numbers down the line. Dalvin Cook has seen better performances than his 50 yards rushing on 12 carries in Week 1, but his five goal line carries, which he turned into two scores, and additional two targets are the reasons behind his stellar weekly floor. In closer games, we should expect Cook's workload to creep up towards 20 opportunities, maybe even more. We shouldn't mention that Alexander Madison got decent run behind Cook earning four targets and a goal line carry as well. Part of that has to be contextualized by the game script, though. Nonetheless, this is still Cook's backfield, and despite being slight home underdogs this week, remains a very good play in fantasy in all fantasy formats. My prediction, Vikings 27, Colts 20. My alternative scenario, though, Phillips River gets on the same page as his receivers and torches the Minnesota secondary early and often, forcing the Vikings into the same desperation mode in the second half that we saw in week one. In that scenario, I predict the score at Colts 34, Vikings 30. Denver Broncos at Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers are home favorite at the time of this recording. The Steelers have 24 implied points, while the Broncos only 17. The Broncos had a shot to win their Monday night football matchup against the Titans in week one, but fell short in part due to what appeared to be clock management blunders by the coaching staff. Still, Denver still led Tennessee in per drive efficiency, but failed to come away with scores on too many drives, coming in at 31st in the league in drive success rate in week one. Without Cortland Sutton available, Jerry Judy operated as the primary receiver, earning a 29% target share, with Noah Fant and Tim Patrick also earning target shares north of 20%. Despite a bad drop that could have helped the Broncos steal victory, Judy had a promising start to his career, thrust into an alpha receiver role, role much quicker than expected. With Sutton expected to suit up this Sunday, expect Judy to hover in the same range as Fant did in Week 8. Uh, week one, excuse me, earning four to seven targets on a weekly basis as Drew Locke's second option. Philip Lindsay's injury creates some clarity in what looked like a murky situation heading into week one, as Melvin Gordon is now the undisputed lead back for the Broncos, and he made solid use of his opportunity, rushing for 78 yards on 15 carries, tacking on three receptions, and finding his way into the end zone as well. This should be our weekly expectation for Gordon going forward, even in this middle-of-the-road offense. 
Gordon now will get the usage that he needs, particularly as a receiver needed to be a premium option in fantasy lineups like he once was in Los Angeles. One concerning note, Gordon was spelled for Royce Freeman at the goal line. He actually only earned 50% of the Broncos' goal line work last week. It would be a shame for Freeman to act as a touchdown vulture, but if week one were any indicator, this very well may be the case down the line. The Steelers seemed ecstatic to have Ben Roethlisberger back behind center. After an abysmal offensive showing in 2019 without their injured QB, Pittsburgh took a few drives to get into their rhythm, but then never looked back, ultimately scoring on 50% of their drives against the Giants in Week 1, and they were only one of 10 teams to accomplish that feat last week. As expected, they were much more aggressive on early downs and in neutral game scripts, 12th in Week 1 in that stat, than in 2019. That's much closer to previous Ben Roethlisberger-led teams. Deontay Johnson actually led the team in passing volume, commanding 31% of the Pittsburgh weighted opportunity rating, but he only finished with six catches for 57 yards. Juju Smith-Schuster was a distant second at 17%, but his two touchdowns completely saved his day. Still, it's encouraging underlying statistics uh, usage-wise for Johnson, who the Steelers clearly have high hopes for in 2020. James Washington's three targets were certainly a disappointment, as were Eric Ebron's two, It looks like either of them will need a touchdown or or something else to change in order for them to be valuable in fantasy football going forward. James Conner got the start in the Steelers' backfield Monday night, but was quickly bounced with an ankle injury. In his place, Benny Snell ran for an efficient 113 yards on 19 carries. It looked very good. And there's already speculation that Snell has earned more playing time, even if Conner can recover and play next week. Though he didn't see any looks in the passing game, If Connor ends up missing time, Benny Snell should absolutely be on DFS players' radar as a low-priced option who could get upwards of 20 opportunities as a home favorite. It's easy to see this game getting out of hand quickly, followed by the Steelers relying on Snell for mop-up duties in the second half. My prediction, Steelers 31, Broncos 20. Alternative, the Broncos, even without some of their top playmakers on defense, frustrate Roethlisberger and stymie the Pittsburgh offense. They steal this one from Pittsburgh late, Broncos 24, Steelers 21. Bills at Dolphins. Bills have 23 implied points, the Dolphins 18. The Jets are going to make a lot of teams look good this year, and the Bills were first in line to take advantage of this fact, beating their AFC East rivals with ease in Week 1. Josh Allen wasn't asked to do too much and still ended up in the top 10 among quarterbacks in expected points added per drive and drive success rate. Most excitedly for fantasy football, Allen continued to be a threat in the ground game, adding a rushing touchdown to his two touchdown passes. Even better, he allocated over 50% of the team's weighted opportunity to his top playmakers, peppering John Brown and Stephon Diggs with targets. The pair split 19 targets amongst themselves, 10 for Brown and 9 for Diggs, with Brown finding the end zone on a screen pass. Cole Beasley maintained his methodical underneath role, commanding seven targets as well. Zach Moss is clearly going to push Devin Singletary, particularly in high-leverage areas. Moss saw four of the team's five goal-line rushes, Allen had the other, and caught a touchdown as well. Singletary was still utilized as a receiver, commanding seven targets, but it seems Buffalo's intent on using a committee approach at the running back position this season. It's clearly an encouraging sign for the third-rounder, Moss, who the Bills clearly have big plans for in 2020. It must be annoying for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who consistently outplays his situation in year one of a new system and then struggles with turnovers in year two. We've seen this over and over again. The Fitzpatrick pattern 
began to rear its ugly head once again in week one, as Fitzpatrick threw three interceptions and never put the Dolphins in a position to compete with rival New England during week one. Fitzpatrick's favorite target Sunday was predictably Preston Williams, as Devontae Parker came into the game banged up and then exited Sunday's loss with an injury as well. Williams ended up seeing nearly 30% of the Dolphins' weighted opportunity share, but due to their mid-tier pace, 14th in seconds per play in Week 1, and mid-tier play-calling conservatism, also 14th in true neutral early-down pass rate, this only translated to 7 targets and 2 receptions. The only other notable option in the passing game is Mike Isecki, who continues to be used in a hybrid receiver role. He was slightly more productive with a 16% true weighted opportunity share, catching 3 balls for 30 yards. The bottom line is that this offense is anemic, particularly without Parker, and it may be even tougher for the Dolphins to move the ball than last week as the Bills possess two of PFF's top 35 corners, including the number two graded safety, Jordan Poyer. Look for the Bills' defense to bail Fitz, uh, bait Fitzpatrick into making mistakes in an attempt to flip the field for Allen. The, Mi- the Miami ground game featured Miles Gaskin more than any of us expected, With Jordan Howard taking his goal line reps and Matt Breida non-existent in the passing game, that was weird. Gaskin ended up seeing over 10% of the Dolphins' weighted opportunity rating in the passing game, turning that opportunity into four receptions for 26 yards and 40 yards as a rusher as well. At 4,300 on DK, you could do worse than Gaskin as a GPP dart throw, particularly if the Dolphins find themselves behind and simultaneously unable to take deep shots due to the Bills' secondary strength. I guess in this circumstance, Miami's short area targets like Isaiah Ford and Jakeem Grant, who's dealing with a calf injury, so make sure you listen to that over the weekend, they could see extended usage. Both possess the requisite speed to break a long run if they find themselves in the open field. My prediction, Bills 27, Dolphins 20. Alternative scenario, Allen connects on multiple deep shots and Fitzpatrick connects with the Bills secondary. The Bills breeze to 2-0, Bills 33, Dolphins 13. Bears at Giants. Right now, the Bears are road favorites here. 23 and a half implied points with the Giants at 19 implied points. The Bears, the Bears have no business being 1-0. After their defense allowed the Lions to march down the field for a game-winning drive, only to be bailed out by a fluke of a drop touchdown. Nonetheless, here we are. Chicago seems poised to take a 2-0 start as their favorites on the road this week. They go to the Giants as they just allowed a 100-yard rusher in Benny Snell and a two-touchdown game from wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. Wide receiver Allen Robinson for the Bears saw a healthy part of the weighted opportunity share over 30%, as he should. But considering that workload, his five receptions for 74 yards is an underwhelming total. Anthony Miller also saw 20% of the Bears' passing volume, including an acrobatic end zone grab as part of a five-reception 76-yard game. He inserted himself right back into the number two receiver role that he seized before a shoulder injury ended his 2019 season prematurely. He certainly isn't the most efficient quarterback, but there's no doubt that Mitchell Trubisky has two high-quality weapons in Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller in his receiving game. He needs to take advantage. David Montgomery was the primary ball carrier for Chicago, but didn't receive a full workload by any stretch. His 13 rushes for 64 yards are right around his weekly floor in this offense, but the three targets, only one reception, is encouraging for his upside. Tariq Cohen, who at one point last week appeared that he might get a full workload if Montgomery were forced to sit, was relegated to his typical gadget back role, but sadly only earned two targets and no rushes inside the 10. 
for the Giants, Saquon Barkley's historically bad day as a rusher. I can't believe I'm reading this right. Six yards on 15 carries isn't going to happen again. But the Giants clearly have a significant problem on the offensive line. Uh, Daniel Jones will be playing at a weekly disadvantage because of this. He'll likely be forced into situations where he'll need to pass effectively out of the pocket or, or just take off scramble. His 41 pass attempts is somewhat valuable for the Giants receivers, as it indicates that there may be plenty of opportunities for the pass catchers to produce. But even if it just means that they're just doing it in comeback mode, despite the high pass volume, Jones seemed content to check the ball down consistently as Barkley led or tied for the lead for the team lead with nine targets. The other Giants players with nine targets, well, just Darius Slayton with nine. He had a monster fantasy game thanks to his two touchdowns. He earned an admirable 28% of the Giants true weighted opportunity share. Uh, That was with Golden Tate absent, if you remember, but after Barkley, Sterling Shepard had 17%. Uh, all in all, it was a disappointing week one performance for pretty much all of the Giants except Slayton. The worst of them, though, was Evan Ingram, who was banished into irrelevance with just two catches for nine yards. Again, even worse for Ingram, Golden Tate should return to the field this week, muddying a situation that's already very difficult to predict from week to week. My prediction here, the Bears are going to take it 21-17. Can't believe I'm saying it. The Bears are 2-0. and My alternative scenario, both teams pass more efficiently than their week one versions of themselves. The game opens up for both teams in the second half, but I still have the Bears winning 31-27. Two of the premier young quarterbacks in the NFL square off in the Baltimore Ravens at the Houston Texans game this Sunday. Baltimore currently has a 29.5 implied total. The Texans at 22, their home dogs. With the second highest Vegas over-under on the entire slate, and Lamar Jackson coming off an impressive Week 1 performance, this game should see plenty of attention from DFS players on Sunday. Will Fuller had 22 fantasy points without much fanfare on 10 targets from Deshaun Watson. He's being utilized in the Texans' offense like a true number one receiver, in line with former teammate DeAndre Hopkins. When you factor in his game-breaking speed and high average depth of target, Until he's priced like an elite option on these sites, he's the 16th highest priced receiver on DraftKings, Fuller will be a DFS value relative to his probability of producing a slate-breaking score, even against the sturdy secondary of Baltimore. Brandon Cooks was a distant second in the pecking order, earning only five targets. In the backfield, David Johnson saw an encouraging four targets en route to a solid 15-touch workload, even while dealing with a negative game script in Week 1. He also showed shades of his old elusiveness, breaking five tackles, including one that helped him scamper into the end zone in the first quarter of the Thursday night game last week. With backfield mate Duke Johnson nursing an ankle sprain and the Ravens likely aiming to lock down Fuller and the rest of the passing game, the Texans may be forced into checkdown situations, which means Johnson could have chunk plays to keep Houston in the game. Baltimore shook off its bitter playoff defeat in style, scorching the Browns so badly that their starters barely played three quarters. They were second in the NFL in net expected points per drive, while Houston was fifth worst a week ago. While some of that can be explained by each team's week one opponent, it's still an indicator that the tandem of Baltimore's elite secondary and freakishly athletic offense will be incredibly difficult to handle for any team. The week one headliner for the Ravens was rookie back J.K. Dobbins, who found the end zone twice on Sunday on only seven carries. Though many of the carries were in the high value variety, 
that is still Ingram's backfield in closer games, as this Sunday's matchup against Houston projects to be. Marquise Hollywood-Brown and Mark Andrews received the exact same share of Baltimore's targets. Factoring in air yards, however, Brown actually received more of the overall weighted opportunity rating than Andrews. Andrews did find the end zone twice. That's always important. The big tight end played more snaps than he did all last season and is clearly a favorite of Jackson near the goal line. Jackson didn't even need to be fully utilized as a rusher that much in week one, only rushing five times and choosing instead to slice and dice the Browns as a passer. Their run-first approach was also in line with the 2019 Ravens, as Baltimore was 27th in pass rate on early downs in neutral situations, though there weren't many of those against Cleveland last week. In tandem with their fifth slowest pace of play, the the pass volume on this offense will sometimes remain limited, but with a large amount of it to spread amongst only two options, Brown and Andrews. Both of them should be in consideration in DFS lineups. Prediction, Ravens 34, Texans 33. Alternative scenario, both teams aim to to control the pace of play and run-first approaches limit the number of plays run by both sides. Baltimore has their way on the ground, however, Ravens 24, Texans 17. Arizona Cardinals at the Washington football team. At the time of this recording, the Arizona Cardinals uh, have implied 26.5 points and Washington 20 implied points. It took nearly two quarters of up and down play, but the Arizona offense appeared to find its footing during its two-minute drill, uh, scratch that 30-second drill, stealing three points at the end of the half against the 49ers. From there, they never looked back. Despite being outscored by an average of one point on a per-drive basis, second worst in the NFL, the Cardinals thoroughly outplayed San Francisco in the second half, part in part due to Kyler Murray's ability to neutralize the 49ers' pass rush with his legs. Murray was the Cardinals' leading rusher in Week 1, finding the end zone on a beautiful scramble in the fourth quarter. Most impressively, though, he was only tackled one time on 13 rushes, flashing his MLB-level sliding ability and drawing two unnecessary roughness calls while giving himself up. When Murray wasn't running, it was usually because he'd gotten the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, who led the league in weighted opportunity share and was second in raw targets behind Devontae Adams. He was also inches away from catching in on a brilliant 34-yard touchdown of his own. Hopkins is a no-doubt locked-in, wide receiver one, and a cash game lock, particularly on DraftKings, until further notice. Washington's strength on defense, like Arizona's week one opponent, is their pass rush, so they consistently won their matchup against a battered Eagles offensive line, recording an alarming eight sacks during week one. So Murray will once again be asked to maneuver a quickly collapsing pocket on Sunday. Look for Arizona to also rely on their quick pace of play, they were fourth in the NFL in Week 1, to tire out the Washington pass rush. Though completely overshadowed by Hopkins' huge day, Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald were both involved in the offense. In fact, Arizona's big three make up over 60% of the Cardinals' weighted opportunity share. Murray missed a wide-open Kirk for a huge game late in Week 1, a mistake erased by a brilliant Hopkins first down catch and run on the very next play. And the Cardinals also ran several plays designed to get Fitzgerald open in space. A final note, Chase Edmonds saw work on special teams and in the passing game, out-targeting starting running back Kenyon Drake. 
Washington was arguably the most surprising team of Week 1, appearing disciplined on offense and ferocious on defense, a signal of possible changing times under coach Ron Rivera for the Wayward franchise. Dwayne Haskins, excuse me, Dwayne Haskins' expected points added per drive was 14th among quarterbacks in Week 1, and he turned a third of his drives into scores. Eh, both middle of the road, but most importantly, he avoided turnovers and made key plays down the stretch to help secure a victory. Though they were quite fast in pace of play, 7th overall but 4th in neutral game scripts, Washington was the 5th most conservative play-calling offense in terms of neutral down early pass attempts. They chose, excuse me, neutral game script early down pass attempts. They instead chose their aggressive moments wisely in week 1 converting a 4th and 1 inside their opponent's 10-yard line on their ultimately game-winning touchdown drive, and subsequently passing on early downs on their game-sealing drive that ended up in a field goal later in the 4th quarter. Pass catchers Terry McLaurin, who had over 20% of Washington's weighted opportunity, and Logan Thomas, over 30%, will need to be very efficient in order to hit in fantasy, as their volume will likely remain limited. But, Scott Turner's offense appears to be setting Haskins up for success long-term. I'm mildly optimistic. The aforementioned Thomas is a surprise early contributor. He seems to be a massive part of the Washington game plan, even being set up for tight end screens on occasion by Washington. Thomas, a converted quarterback who possesses elite athleticism, may very well have weekly fantasy value in this offense. With a workload similar to what we saw in Week 1, he could be a breakout star. We shouldn't be giving up on Antonio Gibson, despite Peyton Barber getting the goal line work for the running back position, and J.D. McKissick was also more involved than Gibson in the passing game. Gibson had an impressive .36 avoided tackles per touch, showing glimpses of the game-breaking ability that made him a day-two pick in this year's NFL draft. My prediction, Arizona 24, Washington 21. Alternative scenario, Murray emboldened by his week one performance, scrambles his way to two more cardinal touchdowns and throws for two more. Hopkins finds the end zone as well. Washington doesn't have eight sacks, nor a plus two turnover margin again. Arizona 37, Washington 17. Chiefs at Chargers. Right now the Chiefs are implied with a 27.75 total, while the Chargers have a 19 point implied total. Chiefs big favorites on the road. No team was luckier to escape with a week one win than the Chargers after Cincinnati kicker Randy Bullock missed a chip shot field goal with seven seconds remaining. In spite of being carved up by Joe Burrow in what should have been his game-tying drive, the Chargers find themselves 1-0 heading into week two and their showdown against the Super Bowl champs. As expected, the Chargers are running an entirely different offensive scheme with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, which features significant use of the pistol formation and heavy usage of play-action fakes, misdirections, and up-tempo pace. Chargers were eighth in seconds per play in week one. They all looked out of sync for much of the first half, though. They started the day with three straight punts, followed by a bad fourth-and-one attempt in which Taylor slipped and fell well short of the line of scrimmage. As the game progressed, however, the Chargers' offense seemed to find its rhythm, using the threat of Taylor scrambling to keep Cincinnati and their pass rush at bay. Los Angeles created huge running lanes for Austin Eckler, who had the highest expected yards per carry in the NFL, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, and rookie Joshua Kelly, who made the most of his high-value touches in his debut with a fourth-quarter touchdown. Most notable in the passing game was the emergence of Mike Williams as the Chargers' leader in targets and air yards. 
He made multiple acrobatic catches along the sideline and was clearly the first read on many of Chargers pa- of the Chargers' pass plays. Though it should be mentioned, Williams is only one piece of a big three in the Charger receiving game, as Keenan Allen and tight end Hunter Henry each received eight targets apiece compared to Williams' nine. In fact, the three make up one of the most consolidated passing offenses in the NFL after week one, accounting for about 70% of Los Angeles' true weighted opportunity share. The Chiefs weren't at their most lethal on Thursday night, but they still graded as the sixth best team in the NFL in terms of net expected points. Their offense was one of four teams to average over two expected points per drive, and even more exciting for Chiefs fans, their defense was sixth best in expected points per drive allowed. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire received a bell cow workload right away, and if his work in the receiving game increases, he could push for the most valuable running back in fantasy football. Yes, I said it. Even as the sixth-highest-priced running back on the main slate, Edwards Lair remains a value based on his elite workload and unprecedented touchdown upside. It was Sammy Watkins' night against Houston in Week 1, leading the Chiefs in targets and fantasy points. Playmakers Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill each saw six looks apiece, but I'd expect that number to increase in Week 2. Demarcus Robinson also saw 15% of the team's true weighted opportunity share, which wouldn't be typically that exciting, except it's 15% of Patrick Mahomes' offense. He was inches away from hauling a 30-plus yard touchdown in the first half of Week 1 and was thoroughly more involved in the passing game with six targets than second-year speedster Nicole Hardman, who's being primarily used as a special teams weapon this year. Prediction, Chiefs 31, Chargers 21. Alternative scenario, Mahomes throws for four touchdowns and the Chiefs' defense completely outclasses the Chargers' new-look offense. Taylor and company can't finish drives and go out with a whimper. Chiefs 34, Chargers 13. And that's a wrap. Week 2 matchups in the books here. Guys, have a wonderful second week of the 2020 NFL season. My name is Matt Savoka at Draftaholic on Twitter. You can catch all my articles on awesomeo.com. May all your lineups hit their ceiling. Have a good one, guys.